Amen. Pretty interesting. That's crazy stuff. That's really, really cool. Uh, We're going to pray that the Lord continues just to touch that young man and heal him. So, uh, this morning, John chapter 9, looking at verse 7, if you have your Bibles, which we use every Sunday, by the way, and Uh, If it's your first time with us, again, I know Ryan welcomed you. Welcome to our church. We uh, are just a little over a year and a half old, and uh, we teach the Bible on Sunday mornings. We go through it verse by verse, and this morning, uh, we're in John chapter 9, verse 7, where Jesus says to this man born, uh, born blind from birth, go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seen. In the past two studies, in this verse, we have broken it down into the progressional steps that this blind man has taken, and how he has gone from a place of trust. As in our first study, we looked at trust, and what does it mean to truly trust somebody? If I trust them, I'll listen to what they say. If I trust them, I'll do what they ask me to do. And we looked at how our faith, or our trust in the Lord, is foundational in our obedience to the Lord. And we saw the importance of the three things. Remember, every week we have a C, we have a P, and we have an R. That CPR, that 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 cardiopulmonary resuscitation we've transferred into how do we resuscitate trust? Or how do we make sure that we can be stronger in the way that we trust the Lord? And it was know God's character. Bank on his promises and then wait for his results. In our second study last Sunday, if you missed it, We looked at what it meant to truly obey the Lord. And we highlighted three things that enable and help our obedience unto the Lord. Again, the CPR for that was C, crucify the flesh. Meaning put to death the old man, the old woman, the person who you were before you put faith in Jesus. Because it has a tendency to to rear its ugly head. And that old person needs to be reckoned to be dead. Crucify the flesh. And then the second thing we saw was know the power that you have in Jesus. And then thirdly, we looked at resisting the devil. Putting your dukes up. Resisting, saying no. I do not have to listen to my old boss. I don't work for him any longer. I now serve the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus Christ is my Master, my Savior. So I listen to Him. The devil, the you know Satan. I don't have to listen to my old boss anymore. I resist the devil, and the Bible tells us that Satan flees from us when we resist him. And we have the power of Jesus in our lives. And so today, in our third study, in our series entitled Tops, which stands for Trust, Obey, Purify, and See, we'll see now Jesus tells this man who is blind from birth to go and wash. Now, we can infer from this text that this blind man must have trusted Jesus enough to listen to what he was telling him to do. Because there is, in every situation, in every relationship, there is trust that's built. And if you trust somebody, you'll listen to what they're saying. You'll believe what they're saying. And so we could infer from this text, we think that we can draw a logical conclusion that if Jesus tells this man to do something and he does it, that he first must trust him. And so when it says that the blind man went, you can mark down in your Bibles that he quote-unquote obeyed Jesus. So not only did he trust him, he trusted him enough to do what he asked him to do. Because Jesus said, go. And it says, he went. So if Jesus is our Lord, and if he is our master, and he says to do something, then we do it, that's called obedience. When we don't do it, it's called disobedience. And 
we see that obedience to the Lord stems from a true faith in Him. And the blessings of obedience to God are innumerable. So we'll see that trust leads to obedience. And obedience leads to purification. So the man trusted, he obeyed, and he was cleansed. And so today we're going to look at the third letter of our acronym TOPS, which stands for PURIFY. Now, purity is something that we don't talk about much these days. Purity. Be pure. Being pure physically. How we treat our bodies and how our bodies interact with other bodies. Being pure mentally. What we allow into our mind and how we allow our mind to control our actions and our emotions. Being pure emotionally. How we control our feelings and the thoughts and actions associated with those feelings. Being pure. Being righteous. Being holy. And so this morning, as we look at the CPR under this title, Purity, the first point, as we have three this morning again, is point number one is be consecrated unto the Lord. We talk about purity in relationships. We talk about purity in the way we think. Garbage in, garbage out. You know, am I thinking purely or am I thinking impurely? I think we don't realize how much power is associated with purity. And when you're living pure before the Lord, how you're a vessel, a conduit which, in which God's power can move without, move without any hindrance. We're going to look at purity today, what it means to be purified, what it means to be set apart. And so point number one again in our CPR, C, consecration, be consecrated unto the Lord. Now, this is a term that we don't usually use outside of a biblical context. To consecrate something scripturally meant this, to make or declare something to be sacred or set apart for the service of the Lord. To make or declare something to be sacred or holy or set apart for a specific reason which is service unto the Lord. Something that was set apart was holy unto the, unto the Lord. And the word holy in the Greek can actually mean this. And we quote the Greek a lot because the New Testament was written in Greek. That's the original language. And so we'll look at words and we'll highlight certain things to, to get a, a fuller meaning. Of the word. And the word holy in Greek can actually mean sacred, physically pure, morally blameless. Holy can mean consecrated, or something made or declared to be sacred, something to be revered or honored. So, we're to live lives of purity. We're to be in a place of purifying our hearts and our minds. In 1 Peter 1, verses 15 through 16, it says, But as he, who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. In 2015, we have unfortunately fallen so far from where God has originally intended for us to be. We allow the filthiness of the world to creep into our hearts, into our minds, creep in in so many different areas in our lives that we don't realize is that, is that stuff taints us. It jades us. It goes against the, the purity that we're to have before the Lord. In 1 Corinthians 3, verses 16 and 17, Paul writes and he says this, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? 
By faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit dwells in us, even as in the Old Testament, when they built the temple of God, the presence of God dwelt in that temple. He says, do you not realize that even as the temple in Jerusalem was the most revered and sacred thing in all the land, that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? In verse 17, he would say, if anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. I mean, talk about having self-respect. Talk about treating yourself properly and realizing the value that you have in the Lord. And then transferring that value and that understanding of how important it is to be pure with other people in the way that we treat others, the way that we speak to them, the way that we interact with them, the way we get romantically and physically involved with them. Purity. See, when you put your faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God, dwells inside of you. I mean, maybe you're here this morning or you're watching online or you'll watch this later on an archive somewhere. And you're in a relationship today with your boyfriend or girlfriend or someone outside of your marriage. And they're pressuring you to get involved with them sexually. And every time we sin sexually, we're hurting ourselves and the other person involved. And I don't think we realize that. I don't, feel, I don't feel that we understand truly in our society that says test drive it out, see if you're compatible, how many notches can you get on the belt, that we don't understand that we're missing the mark, that we are so far off from the way God intended us to interact as human beings that we're completely destroying ourselves and don't realize it. Purity. Because every time we get involved sexually, we're emptying ourselves. And the problem is, is that if you're involved sexually with somebody that's not your spouse, you're emptying yourself with no commitment and no return. Because you'll hear people say, you'll hear people say all the time, well, if you really love me, then, then you would want to be with me. If you really care for me, then, then, you know, let's be intimate together. And we're all adults, you can read between the lines. No! That's not the case. Because if you really loved or cared about someone, you wouldn't be trying to defile them to gratify your own lustful appetites. You get to the point where, you know, you meet your spouse one day, for those of you that are single here this morning, and you have that very uncomfortable conversation of how many people have you dated, and how many people have you been with, and how many people this and that. Let me tell you right now, the shorter the list, the better. The shorter the list, the better. If you can come up to your spouse and be like, you're the one and only, babe, that's cha-ching, cha-ching. That is where it's at. But yet the world would say, you know, oh yeah, sleep around, play around, play the field, pick up people, whatever. Like this is where your value is and this is how you're cool and this. But what is happening is we're defiling ourselves, we're defiling other people. And we are not being pure and holy because even inside the church, which is quote unquote the place where Christians gather together to worship the Lord, things are happening that ought not to be happening. The Lord created sex for the consummation of a marriage. He created it for a husband and wife to enjoy. And that bedroom is sanctioned by the Lord. And that's cool. But outside of that, it leads to impurity. See, if the Lord's plan for my life is to be set apart, is for me to be set apart for His work, then I must also understand and we must all also understand if the Lord's plan is for us to be set apart, consecrated, different from the rest of the world, then that Satan's number one 
plan, his number one priority is to help me compromise on that calling. If God's called me to be consecrated, to be set apart for holiness, then Satan's priority is to get me to compromise on that calling. In Romans 6, verse 13, it says, And do not present your members as instruments, as your body, members of your body, as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God dead to sin, alive to God, that your body would be used as a vessel for holiness, righteousness, as something that is consecrated, something that is to be used for the furtherance of God's word. In Romans 6, 16, it says, do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey? whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. It doesn't get any more clear cut than that. There's no gray area in there. You obey or you disobey. There's no and. There's like nothing in there. Did you listen? Did you not listen? Do you truly trust in God? Then you obey Him. And if I'm obeying God, then I'm consecrating myself. I'm setting myself apart from the things of the world. And purity will be the natural byproduct of that. So you have to ask ourselves, we have to ask ourselves this morning, to whom or to what are we setting ourselves apart for? Am I setting myself apart from the world for the work of the Lord, or am I setting myself apart from the Lord to do the work of the flesh? In Romans 6.19, from the New Living Translation, and typically I will teach from the New King James Version on Sunday mornings, but I like this translation. It says, Because of the weakness of your human nature, I'm using the illustration of slavery to help you understand all this. Previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led ever deeper into sin. Now, you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteous living so that you will become holy. Do you see what he's saying? It's like, it's like I'm trying to give you a metaphor here using the, 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 this, this metaphor of slavery so that you can understand exactly what it is that I'm talking about. He says, you were slaves to impurity and lawlessness which led to deeper depths of sin. Now, as you're following Jesus, you must give yourself to be slaves to righteous living so that you will become holy. In John 17, 17, The Lord, Jesus, as he was praying, he said to his Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So as followers of Jesus, we remain sanctified. We remain set apart from the world. We remain consecrated as holy and acceptable to the Lord for his service through our obedience. Obedience is directly connected to purity. Because if I don't trust the Lord enough to obey Him, then I will disobey Him because I believe that something else out there will make me fulfilled. That something else out there is better than what God is telling me because I'll actually trust in what the world says will make me happy and I will not truly trust in what the Lord says will make me happy. And so what in essence happens is I trust these things so I disobey God which leads to impurity then I am no longer pure before the Lord because I don't trust Him enough to obey Him. And obedience leads to purification, and so I am impure. In Romans 12, verse 1, 
Paul writes and he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And so, point number one is be consecrated unto the Lord. Set apart from the ways of the world. That you're not doing everything else that people that are not Christians are doing. That you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. To be used to do things that are righteous. That as it said in the New Living Translation, that you would commit yourself to righteous living. You used to be a slave to sin. But now, make yourself a slave unto righteousness. Which leads us to point number two. Again, point number one, the C. Now, Point number two, the letter P, which is be pleasing unto the Lord. First was be consecrated. Now we see be pleasing unto the Lord. In Hebrews 11.6, it says, But without faith, it is impossible to please the Lord. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And here it takes us all the way back to trusting in God. For without trust, or without faith, it is impossible to please God. So you go all the way back to the beginning now. Am I obeying the Lord? Am I being pure before Him? Well, my purity is connected to my obedience, and my obedience connected to my faith. In Romans 8.8, it says, So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So if I'm no longer living as a Christian in the Spirit, then I am naturally living in the flesh. And if I'm living in the flesh, I cannot please God. Because nothing that is disobedience to God is pleasing to Him. Even as for those of you that have children, as I do, you know, nothing that my son does that is disobedient to what I ask him to do is pleasing to me. Even as it isn't to you, hopefully. And if it is, then hopefully we'll have some parenting classes coming up pretty soon. But the same thing applies to our relationship with the Lord. Nothing that I do as an act of disobedience to God is going to be pleasing to Him. So if I'm set apart from the world, excuse me, if I'm not set apart from the world, if I'm not consecrating myself unto the Lord for His service, then I am in the flesh and cannot be pleasing to the Lord. So what is pleasing to the Lord? Uh, Very simply, it's doing His will and not yours. Doing His will and not yours. How do I please the Lord? Do His will and not yours. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, it says this, and I'll kind of pick it apart here. Finally then, brethren, we urge you and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God. (laughs) Right here. How is that for an introductory statement? For this is the will of God. Your sanctification or your consecration. Meaning you you being set apart for holiness, for the service of the Lord. That you should abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you should know how to possess his or own vessel in sanctification and holiness honor now in verse 4 of 1st Thessalonians chapter 4 it says how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and in honor and in some time in some cases you can tell somebody what you're looking for by telling them what not to be right 
In some teaching situations, you can say, hey, this is what you're not to do, and then by saying what not to do, you're in essence telling them this is what you should do. Don't do this. So if you take the flip side or the negative side of this word vessel, listen to this. In the negative sense, this word vessel, as Paul writes and says, he says, uh, possess your own vessel in sanctification and honor. If you take the vessel, that word, and use the negative sense, it can mean an assistant in accomplishing an evil deed. So you can have your body or a vessel in your body, your life, parts of your body can be as an assistant in helping you accomplish evil deeds. Isn't that crazy? Because when you think about it, it totally makes sense. There are things in my body that can assist me in doing that which is evil. But then you can take that to the next step, to the person. Some of you are dating an assistant, are friendly with an assistant. And some of you may be the assistant to help people in doing that which is evil. But may our lives be sanctified and may it be consecrated in honor. And he'll go on to say in 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 5, he says... Not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one should take advantage and defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger of all such. As we also forewarned you and testified, for God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Be consecrated. Be pleasing. God did not call us to impurity, but to holiness. And when I'm set apart, when I'm consecrated unto the Lord, it means that my thoughts, my intentions, my actions are also set apart for the Lord. And that, my friends, is well-pleasing to the Lord. Be consecrated. Be pleasing to the Lord. In Colossians 1.10, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. How am I to be fruitful in every good work? I obey what God is telling me to do. That's how I abound. That's how we're like, man, I hope I can string some more of those right choices together. You know, if I just make one, well, we'll never look back and say, I wish I wouldn't have made a choice that honored God. You'll never look back. No matter how difficult it was, no matter what it cost you, you will never look back in your life and say, oh man, that right choice I made back there, I shouldn't have made that. Be like, what are you, crazy? Yeah, that was a right choice. It honored God and it will reap dividends. Let's try to make two right choices now. Come on, you can do it. Let's go. Number two, trust, obey. Disobedience is displeasing to the Lord. Disobedience hinders the work of sanctification and purification. So, be consecrated. Remember, CPR, trying to make it as easy as we can with acronyms here. Be consecrated unto the Lord. And then point number two was be pleasing unto the Lord, which leads us to point number three, which is be renewed. Be renewed. In Romans 12, verse 2, it says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, call spade a spade. Everything in this world is against Jesus and against what would be biblically right. They want to throw the Bible out. I mean, it just this is the world we live in. Be a realist and understand where we live and what's happening in the world. 
We've gone so far, we've gone so far that right, biblically, is condemned as wrong. And what is wrong, biblically, is promoted and looked upon and enforced and driven as right. And the world wants us to be just like them in everything that we do. Just like them. You Christians... You churchgoers, you churches need to conform to the standards of society. You need to adjust what you believe. You need to throw out the parts of the Bible that contradict what society says is right and what society says is wrong. That's not ever going to happen. The Word of God endures forever, and as much as you want to try to erase it or try to pretend it doesn't exist, the Word of God lasts. And the Word of God is what we as Christians need to base our lives upon. Because if you are basing your life as a Christian upon anything other than God's Word, you are on sinking sand. How many times in society have we seen what somebody says was right, ping-pong to be wrong, and then back and right, and then we don't know anymore. It could be right for you or wrong for you. you know. And then there's no moral norm, there's no moral compass, there is no standard. That's why we have the Bible. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And it doesn't change. So we believe in what the Word of God says. Though the world would say, you change what you believe, no. I didn't come up with these things and I don't have the power to change them. Nobody does. This is God's Word and it lasts. And Jesus said there's not one little dot of an I, not one little crossing of a T that will fade away from God's Word. It stands. And so that's why we teach this and that's why we believe in it. And that's why if you're looking at what is pleasing to God, if you're searching and maybe you're here and you're like, man, I don't know how I showed up to church. This guy's crazy or whatever it might be. The word of God is where you find the answers to your life. The word of God is where it's at because the world wants us to be just like them in everything they do. And quite frankly, they will absolutely not tolerate anyone intolerant of their way of life. They want you to be the same in the movies, in the music, in the parties, in the lifestyles, in the language, in the looks, in the selfishness, in the sexuality, etc. They tell you, conform! You conform! Just be like everybody else. There's a huge amount of pressure even right now throughout the world from society for the church and its true members to conform to the world's standards. And I use the term true members to distinguish people that wholeheartedly follow Jesus and the Bible from those who may attend church or call themselves Christians or religious. Are you conforming to the world? Do you find that the things that you're consumed with are for your own personal pleasure? It's easy, come on. It is so easy to get sucked into the whole way that the world does things. Do you think that the world would tell you to present yourself a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God? The world, controlled by the devil, wants you to sell yourself out. Sell out! Lose your virginity, lose your morals, lose your conviction, lose your sobriety, lose your inhibitions. Conform! It's all good, man. No, it's not. In Romans 1.32, it says, These people know the righteous judgment of God and that those who practice such things are deserving of death, but they not only do the same, but they also approve of those who practice them. 
We've already even gone in our own country past the, 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 the line of approval. It's now forcing. It's not just, yeah, good job. Yeah, let's celebrate you. Man, so brave, so amazing. Wow, you're doing these things that are completely crazy. Yeah, good job. You know, it's normal. It's okay. And now all of a sudden it's like, this is the way it needs to be. This is the way that it has to be. There's no difference between men and women. Nothing. If you want to be a woman and you're a man, then that's what you are. If you want to be a man and you're a woman, then that's what you are. And if we want to be somewhere in the middle, if we want to have unisex bathrooms and have people showering with each other, and we want to do all this kind of stuff, then yeah, that's great, man. Are we absolutely losing our minds? Crazy. And this is what's happening because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom and understanding. So the opposite of that is the lack of the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all stupidity and deception where now it's not even common sense anymore. It's just like, how far can we go? Don't conform, but be transformed. See, being a rebel nowadays doesn't mean you wear a leather jacket and spike your hair and smoke a cigarette. It's actually a person that believes in Jesus. People want to rage against the machine and fight the system. But what about the world system controlled by Satan? Who's going to fight and rebel against that? Because Satan, quite frankly, has this world set on autopilot to hell. Don't conform to the world's standards. So he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. What does that mean, to be transformed? Well, the Greek word for transformed is what you should remember from sixth grade science class. It's the Greek word where we get our English word metamorphosis. I hope you remember that. It's where a caterpillar crawls into its cocoon and then comes out a, a butterfly. You know, this process of, of metamorphosis, you know, where you go from being ooh, you know, to ah, you know, the little wiggly worm to the beautiful butterfly. And the same applies to us as human beings. Being transformed is miraculous where we go from being in sin and enslaved to unrighteousness to ah, or even more appropriately, you know, like holy, righteous in the sight of God. This is a transformation that is miraculous. So Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It says, by the renewing of your mind. The Greek word there for renew can also mean renovation or complete change for the better. Now, some of you love Home and Garden Network and the, all the, 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 you know, the remodeling shows and, oh my, I don't even recognize my house, you know, and that kind of stuff and, and being renovated, you know, those things are really cool. We have whole stations, networks that are dedicated just to that kind of thing. And we get kitchen envy or home and garden envy or whatever. If I only had the funds, I would make all these changes. Listen, when you're transforming, we can get frustrated. Oh man, I'd love to have a kitchen like that. Ah, I'd love to have a, a home theater in my house like that. You know, whatever it might be. If I only had the funds. Well, when you get transformed by the power of Jesus, when you are renovated, renewed in your mind, renovated by the power of Jesus, you will find that you have unlimited resources for spiritual renovation. There's no ceiling cap on it. You don't have to go out and take a loan because the price has already been paid. The way that you think, the way that you understand is renovated. Spiritual renewal is something that needs to take place on a daily basis in the life of the Christian. In Colossians 3.10 it says, And have put on the new man who is renewed 
in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. The new man, the new woman, meaning the new person that you are because you've been forgiven of your sins and cleansed from unrighteousness is renewed. The old man is dying and dead and getting more dead and getting more worse and more depraved. The new man is renewed in the knowledge of him who created him. So you are renewed by the word of God. You are renewed by the grace and forgiveness of God. In 1 John 1, 9, it says if we confess our sins, then he is faithful and just to forgive us, forgive you, forgive me, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we want to live lives that are pure before the Lord, then we need to be consecrated unto the Lord. Understanding that we are set apart from the world and we're created. You, me, we were created to live holy for the Lord through acts of holiness. We need to be pleasing unto the Lord, understanding that our acts of holiness that comes from our lives being consecrated unto the Lord, the Lord is well pleased. And thirdly, to be renewed, understanding our need for the continual renovation of our mind and our spirit as we are forgiven and as we are washed of our sins. So when we put our trust in the Lord, we'll obey Him. And the byproduct of such obedience leads us to live lives of purity before the Lord. Do you see how this is connected? Do you see how all of this fits together? And do you see how all this is practical for us that we can apply this now? This isn't idealism. This is the practicality of Jesus Christ working in your life and doing things for us that we are not capable of doing for ourselves. Consecrate it unto the Lord. Pleasing unto the Lord. Renewed through His Word. Renewed in our spirit. Renewed in our mind. And finally, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 Verses 9 through 11, it says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? It means you do these things, you're not going to heaven. This is serious. People are like, You can't say that. Well, I didn't make this up. This is what the Bible says. Do not be deceived. Don't believe a lie that you can do these things and it's okay. He says, Do not be deceived, neither fornicators. So a lot of times we'll talk about homosexuality and then there's the couple having heterosexual sex before marriage and like, Oh, Man, it flew under the radar on that one. No, it's like God sees all of it. Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, stealing, covetous, wanting something else that somebody else has, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. That's all of us. We're all not getting into heaven. But then he doesn't stop there. Listen to this. And such were some of you. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. You are purified. You are washed. You are cleansed. You are forgiven. And it doesn't matter what sin that you are partaking in. That was the old nature. Remember, crucify the flesh. Know your power that you have in Jesus. Resist the devil. Today, be consecrated unto the Lord. Be pleasing unto the Lord. Be renewed. And then the final verse, which I think connects it all this morning, and this is where we will conclude. 
First Peter 1 verse 22 says this very simply. Since you have purified your soul in obeying the truth through the Spirit. Purify. That's the subject that we're looking at today. Being pure before the Lord. Remember John 9, 7? Jesus spat on the ground. He made clay. He anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And then he said this. Go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And then John inserts parenthetically, which is translated sent. And it says, so he went... He washed. And next week, we're going to look at what it means to see Jesus. 